The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the TOST Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, which you can find online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. Listen to the Toddcast at your convenience on your favorite electronic device by downloading the free SoundCloud app on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from Time Out for the Sports Talk television show, available on BMC channels 8, 9, 28, and 29, and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. And glad to be joined this time around, manning uh, his co-pilot seat, uh, Howie McClellan. Good to see you, as always. Yeah, good to be here. You know, we had a little time off there, but, uh, you know, the old sports bug's <laughs> ticking again. Oh, it certainly is, and it, and it most certainly is uh, with regards to the... Uh, the Red Sox and our guest joining us on the phone line tonight is a, a rising star in sports journalism, and I know how he must feel the same way because, uh, you know, he's his nephew. So, <laughs> But I also hope by me saying he's a rising star in sports journalism, he doesn't forget us uh, once he starts getting bombarded with requests to appear all over Boston sports media. We are talking about uh, Chris Mason, who this spring began covering the Red Sox beat for CNHI Sports Boston. You can read his Sox stories online at eagletribune.com, and you can follow Chris on Twitter at ByChrisMason. Mason. Chris, thanks for joining Howie and I here on the Toddcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always fun catching up with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Certainly these days when it comes to the Red Sox. And you know, Chris, I definitely I definitely want to talk about everything that's going on with the Red Sox on the field. But first, we have to discuss the big story this week, of course. Uh, one that you actually referenced in your, uh, in your latest post on EagleTribune.com. Uh, earlier today, it was referring to, of course, uh, referring to the David Price-Dennis Eckersley incident on the team's charter flight about a month ago, but it became news again this week because of uh, the Dan Shaughnessy article. Uh, those who want to complain that this simply just looks like another uh, player-takes-on-reporter story, I, I think this event speaks to a much larger issue, and I guess I'd like to look more at that, uh, both talking about David Price and with the ball club itself and maybe how you know what kind of an effect this might have. Uh, on how the team performs the rest of the season. Chris, in your, your uh, post today, you were talking about how much, and I, I think Howie and I said this last yeah. fall after the Red Sox season, how much we really uh, might miss some of the intangibles that David Ortiz uh, can provide to a ball club, not just the uh, on-field production. And, uh, boy, those intangibles are really uh, glaringly absent right now, as you pointed out in your story today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's across the board. You know, it's not, it's not one aspect. It's, it seems like they miss him everywhere. Whether that's, um, I mean, obviously on the field it's huge. In the clubhouse it's different. And even right now you have some young guys struggling. And Ortiz is always revered as someone that was a great mentor to young guys. You know, like Xander Bogarts right now is having one of his worst months ever. He could certainly use Ortiz in that locker next to him being like, hey, man, like, don't sweat it. Like, keep doing your thing. Just kind of boosting his confidence, pumping his tires. But uh, that presence just isn't there this year. Yeah, I, I, the funny it's, it's, the thing is, I think it's even more magnified now that he's gone with, the, with everything that's going on right now. Whereas maybe, I mean, at the beginning of the season, you were missing the offense part of David Ortiz, but now I think you're missing the the whole David Ortiz uh, with everything that's going on. And, and it's really, to be honest with you, it's kind of embarrassing to be a Red Sox fan right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that, that's. I'm very curious to see what kind of a response Price gets when he starts tomorrow night. Um, just because I think a lot of fans share that belief that they side with Eckersley in this whole thing, and they should. Yeah, I mean, last time I checked, Dennis Eckersley is in the Hall of Fame, 
And David Price is just a a pretty good pitcher right now because he's not showing me anything. I mean, he's having a decent season now that he's come back. He had a decent season last year. But, I mean, for someone to strike out at somebody the way he did, to me, was just embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thing with it is it feels like a schoolyard bully. You know, he's there with all of his guys, like, behind him, like, all, like who, whoever was applauding. Like, those guys have his back. He's doing it for show. Whereas, like, there's a right way and a wrong way. If you have an issue with something somebody says, you can, uh, you can man up, talk to him one-on-one, be like, hey, this, is, this isn't right. This is, I, I disagree with this. You know, have it out and move on. It's funny, Mike, Michael Felger was talking about this on the radio this week. He said Jimmy Hayes saw him in Nantucket, and Felger's been pretty hard on Jimmy Hayes. Hayes walked up to him with a beer and was like, hey, he was unhappy with him, but they had it back and forth. It was fairly civilized, and you move on. Like, that's how you're supposed to handle these things. I mean, yelling at a Hall of Famer on a team charter and not letting him get a single word in is not that. Especially, especially over what he said. I mean, we're not talking about that he was berating Price. I mean, he said, yuck about the performance. That I mean, that was mild. You know, compared to what could be said about those uh, outings. Yeah, and I think some of the other comments, too, uh, apparently. It, it's kind of frightening when uh, the folks of the afternoon show on 98.5 become the voices of reason. But they've been so, <laughs> as far as covering this story goes this week. And one of the things, uh, you know, Mr. Felker's partner was talking about was, uh, I, I guess also there were some comments Eckersley made during a start price had about, uh, about a month ago now, it was against uh, Minnesota, game at Fenway, and uh, he'd made, there was a play where Price didn't cover first base right away when he was supposed to on a ball that looked like it could have been caught by Moreland at first, or it could have been a ground ball, but Price just sort of watched the play instead of doing what he's supposed to do on a, on you know, because you don't know if it's going to be, an, if it's a caught ball or a grounder, and you should go, you know, you're supposed to cover first if the first baseman's not close enough to the bag. I guess there was that, also some talk about, I guess, how slow uh, and deliberate sometimes Price can be while he's working on the mound. It wasn't anything super critical, but, uh, you know, I just, again, it speaks to a larger issue. and It just goes back uh, to several incidents that have been happening this year. Uh, Chris, you actually uh, were a witness, I guess, to the earlier incident uh, from the season, the one where Price blew up at uh, CSN reporter Evan Drellick. Would you uh, uh, mind, or would you care sharing a little bit about that and, and what happened uh, exactly? Oh, yeah. he was, So we were walking down. It was after, um, I think it was a Rick Porcello start in, uh, in the Bronx. We were walking down, waiting to go into John Farrell's office because that's the first thing you always do is, you know, you go into John's office and he talks to you, gives this little spiel. And Price was in the hallway waiting for us. And he had his eye on Evan the whole time. And he said, hey, like, hey, come, come talk to me. Let, let's go. And Evan was just like, oh, sure. Like, puts his microphone down. They might have gone 30 yards down the hallway and Price just starts screaming at him like he's ripping into him um evan had tweeted something earlier in the day which seemingly it was, it was relatively benign it was um that that was the same day that price had told dan shaughnessy that he's not talking on any day other than it starts so evan was like i wonder if this is okay with the collective bargaining agreement so he looked into it and found his conclusion ultimately was that yes that that is probably fine like it's not a it's not a mandate that you have to talk all the time or anything like that but I guess Price didn't even like him looking into that, and so he was waiting for him, and he was screaming his head off at him. It was, uh, it was pretty intense, and it was to the point where then it was like then it was time to go into Farrell's office, and there were two or three of us that was like, I think I'd rather stay in the hallway here. Like this is more interesting. And after 30 seconds, we got shooed in there. Like PR basically said, you you need to either go into his office or go into the clubhouse. You can't be standing in the hallway anymore. So through two closed doors after that, while Farrell was giving his presser you could still hear the yelling back and forth. And it was, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. 
I mean, how, how childish is this get? Like I said, it's like a schoolyard thing. I mean, he's supposed to be a professional. I mean, you've got to take criticism. I mean, I don't know about you, but I take criticism at work when I'm not doing something right. My boss tells me about it or someone tells me about it. I mean, that's just part of life. Where does he get off thinking that he's above criticism, he's above being told he's doing something wrong? And the thing with Eckersley about the first base, Eckersley even said, and I've done it myself. I mean, so it's not like he was berating him for something. He, he admitted he had done he tried it. tried to so, soften the blow yeah, to the criticism. I, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, hey, man, I've done it too, you know. So, you know, let it go at that. But, you know, this story should have died a long time ago. And it's getting to the point now that I'm starting to think that this could be the downfall of their season, just like the chicken and bear fiasco back when that happened, and that just ended up ruining the season. I'm seeing this as starting to ruin this season because they're starting to take a dive. Like I said, there's no one there to help out the young kids, and it's just— And they're following—they're starting to follow Price's lead yeah. or su- support him. I mean, Shaughnessy's article brings up the people clapping after uh, this— you know, after, That's another uh, whole story. Price I'm so disappointed at Pedroia. I expected more from him. I thought he would be the voice of reason. He sounds like he's the gasoline being poured on the fire. Yeah, and the, one of the other thing with the, all these price things are that John Farrell will defend him as, oh, well, he, he's just standing up for Eddie Rodriguez. It's like, no, he's not. We're going back to the things like the first base. Yes, I remember that, and I remember thinking, like, I bet he's pissed about that, and he just waits and waits until there's an opportunity to pounce, and then there you go. Oh, oh no, he's, he's just standing up for a teammate over a yuck. It's like, no, he's not. He's got, like, an agenda here. He's obviously irritated with Eck, and that's why, like, then it comes out. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because that speaks to another point here. Okay, the team is missing Ortiz, and and that's obviously a problem. But this team is also missing a manager like Terry Francona, who I think would have handled things a lot differently. We're starting to see, uh, you know, some of the, you know, again, we've been critical at times of Farrell for his some of his managerial decisions in-game, but one of the things Dave Dombrowski, I guess, said was, well, that's not necessarily the the most important part of being a good manager. It's how you handle your clubhouse and managing the personalities. And right now, it just feels like all John Farrell is doing is enabling, you know, Price to the point. I mean, we, we you know, you've probably heard some of the recent interviews Price, uh, Farrell has done. He has a weekly commitment to do an interview on EEI. And, uh, you know, they, you know, he seems to be very uh, curt at times with, uh, well, in particular, Rich Keefe, who seems to ask a little bit more pointed questions. And he's having a, you know, so Farrell is kind of, you know, it almost feels like he's got that similar thin skin to Price. So it's almost like he's kind of supporting Price and maybe supporting, in essence, what he's been doing. Is he supporting or is he scared of him? Is he scared of upsetting him? Well, that's and he's going to be too, on the yeah. other end of what a tight Price's little temper tantrums. Right. A strong, you either need a strong manager or a strong presence of a player like a David Ortiz to run a clubhouse to keep things kind of managing through when you're going through these tough stretches like the team is right now. And I think that kind of almost comes back to the Ortiz presence in there last year. Like, Price was a model citizen with Ortiz there. I didn't see them talk a ton when they were in there. I wasn't in there all the time, but I think, like, Ortiz is top dog. Everyone knows that you follow his lead. So now with that leadership void, I think Price has leapt into that. And I, with, with Farrell, I think he's kind of there, – there was a point this season where Ken Rosenthal posted a story that he basically had players saying that um, they felt like Farrell didn't stick up for them enough. And ever since that story came out, it's almost like he feels like he has to go that extra mile to, like, hey, I'm looking out for you guys. I'm looking out for you guys. And then with Price, he's almost in a no-win situation here because what what do you think the best course of action he could take would be? I think well, 
you know, he should he should sit him down, talk to him, and tell him there's better ways to handle this than having to put on a big show in front of everybody because all that does is create more controversy. Or even more importantly, too, Howie and Chris, more importantly, maybe just go to him and say, listen, we're trying to win baseball games here. That's our job. You need to keep your focus on the field, on your pitching performances. Stick with that. Don't be, you know, having all this stuff clutter up your mind that you got in a so-called or a perceived slight from somebody in the media during a broadcast, which you didn't even hear firsthand, you know, was probably relayed to you by either your wife or some friends or something. You know, that's how they, that's how all these players find out about this stuff that, that's said about them on, on TV and radio during the games. I mean, obviously they're not, <laughs> they're not watching or listening uh, to the broadcast. So it's like, you know, but that's where the focus needs to be. And I think that's, you know, that's been sort of the bigger point here. Here and how this is going to affect the team going forward. If they're bothered, you know, by having these little, you know, uh, gang up on, you know, reporters or broadcasters thing, and they're not focused on trying to figure out how to, you know, find ways to hit better or pitch better or execute all the little plays in a ball game. I mean, that's that's the bigger problem here. Yeah, and I think Farrell has tried to have that conversation with Price. I, I think they've had more than one conversation about it, but it's just tough if the guy won't listen. You know, then ultimately, like. You could go the, uh, who was, was it Jimmy Williams that suspended Pedro when he was late for that start? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, and that's something, it, I felt like Pedro never really forgave him for. I read Pedro's book this, or last summer, and, he, like, there was a big excerpt about that, about how, like, he thought he's a huge sign of disrespect and how it, like, kind of forged a wedge there. So it's, it's just, like, Farrell's in a very tough spot here. Do you think uh, personally? I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think I think Price is try, trying to wind himself out of Boston. I think he, this isn't about sticking up for teammates. This is about just creating so much adverse controversy that they'll just say, you know what? Why don't you leave? Why don't we trade you? And why don't you get out of here? Because I think that's what he wants. Because I don't think that he can perform in under the stress. He was like um, Renteria. Or, or, or some of these guys, or uh, well, Crawford, Crawford, yeah, Crawford, you know, Crawford. they played where it didn't matter. Everyone was buddy buddy, hunky dory. Ah, we win some, we lose some. Here, it's win 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 all the time, and you're under a microscope. And I don't think he can handle it. So I think he's just trying to make such a big deal out of everything that they're going to try to just get rid of the problem, like they did with Crawford and like they did with Gonzalez and the rest of them. I think he's trying to get himself shipped out of Boston. And Farrell had a pretty interesting answer during that EEI interview when they asked him, do you think David Price likes pitching in Boston? And he said something along the lines of, like, oh, well, I'm sure there are some things that David disagrees with or something like that, where he definitely could have been like, yeah, I do. I think he likes his teammates, and I think he likes pitching there. So that, that was kind of interesting. Well, it's funny because that's the exact same thing that Price said to Shaughnessy in that June interview before the blow-up you referenced uh, at Yankee Stadium that he had with Evan Drellick. I mean, that's what he said. He said he loved his teammates, and he didn't mention anything about the about the fans or the city or anything, That he just that he enjoyed playing with his teammates. Yeah, and wasn't he complaining earlier? No one asked about his personal thing, what he does, you know, yeah, outside like of baseball. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, you know, he had to play baseball. You know, I mean, yeah, that would be nice on the sideline, but – we don't. They don't care about that. The fans really don't. They want to know what you're going to do, how you're going to pitch, and are we going to win games? Are we going to win the World Series? I mean, that's the environment you signed up for when you put your name on that. What a two hundred and fourteen million dollar contract. Yeah. I mean, we didn't sign you to, to to hear about your charity. We signed you to win baseball games. And if this is what someone has done to jump into, you call it the leadership role. I want another leader. And him him trying to shoot his way out of town's kind of. I don't think it'll work because. That contract is basically untradeable. 
but he might opt out after next year. Well, right, he's got the loophole that a lot of players don't necessarily have in a big contract like that if they're trying to shoot their way out of town. He can, at the end of next season, shoot himself out of town if he wants to. He can just say, you know, I'm opting out. I mean, he'll have made about almost $100 million from the Red Sox over three years by then, or, you know, 90-something million, enough that... You know, he could certainly just move on if, if the pressure of the of the local media and the fans is, is getting to him too much. Yeah, let him go back to somewhere where they win like 60 games a year and, and they're done by the end of September, and, uh, you know, that'll be the thing he wants. Yeah, and the other thing I was just going to say really quick here that, that kind of plays into this, somebody who's as thin-skinned as Price, while he's a very successful pitcher during the regular season and he's had some great regular season numbers, look what's happened to him in the in the playoffs. He, he's never won a playoff start. And what is he, 0-2-7 or, or something with a couple wins in relief. But, yeah, I mean, but that may be someone with that kind of a fragile ego that can't handle the slightest bit of criticism is somebody that when the pressure's really on playing games in October that are, you know, like, you know, win or die, you know, kind of thing, you know, at that with all the stakes that are involved that he can't handle pitching under that pressure. He crumbles under it. He's a soft one, player. One of the most shocking answers that he's given since he was in Boston was after that loss last year in the playoffs. I think it was Trenny asked him, um, Trenny Kisnerik asked um, about not winning a playoff game, and he's, well, I have won a playoff game. It's like, what, well, well, I won two out of the bullpen. And it's like, that is not the right answer for this market. Like, you know, like, how would Chris Sale have answered that question, you know? Yeah, he would have said, I've done nothing yet. That's what Chris Sale would have said. Exactly. You know, I, I wish he'd take some lessons from him. Now, there's a guy that, that if, if someone's going to jump into the leadership role, he's the guy I want, the guy that's leading my ship, you know? Not not pride, not not with what he's done. He's he's made he's created this story. It's gotten so big and so bad now that I don't see a way out. I really don't. Yeah, and I think Sale just Sale does basically everything the right way on the field, off the field. His answers, and it's it's one of those things where nobody would mind Price only talking after starts if he was you know pitching like Sale and answering questions like Sale. Nobody bats an eyelash at Sale only talking after his start days because he's very accountable always sticks up for his teammates, and he performs on the field. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, so, well, let me ask you this, Chris. This is this is your first year uh, on the job, you know, you know, as a full-time Red Sox beat writer. But had you been in the locker room uh, in the Red Sox clubhouse at all, pri- like in other seasons prior to this one? Yeah, the two leading up to this one. Okay, so... Yeah, okay. Two years okay, ago, so, okay. a, a, a lot last year. Right, okay, fair enough. Well, then, how would you compare the overall vibe of the clubhouse from, you know, the times you've been in there this year compared to last year when there was a presence like David Ortiz in there? Just just overall, are there any kind of... And I, I, you don't have to give out names. I understand, you know, I don't want you to, like... You yeah, we don't your, want Price to get stuck beating right. up on you. We don't want you to lose <laughs> the ability to do what you need to do after games in the clubhouse. But, you know, just can you give us some generality? these maybe from from the other years you've worked there to this season you know just things you've noticed that are just different uh, it definitely feels a little tighter as a group one player that i think was actually really good for the clubhouse dynamic that's gone now is clay buckles um he was somebody that was always just in there always around always playing music you know it, it, he was light and I, he's not around i mean it's completely different without ortiz um but yeah it, it's it's I, I it feels a little tighter yeah, well, it's an interesting name. I never would have guessed Clay Buckholz is kind yeah, of yeah, really. You know, uh, you know, a, a soothing presence. Uh, you know, in the clubhouse, even just sometimes the way you'd see the deer in the headlights look when he was answering questions after he had a bad performance or something. But uh, 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so, I mean, how much with all this that's going on, where do you think the, you know, is this more of an indictment on, is it just price? Is it feral? Is it a combination of both? I mean, like, just, you know, what do you, what do you think is the uh, the issue there? I think it's mostly price, to be honest. I Ooh. think, I, yeah, I would give most of the blame to price in this whole thing. I, like, I think there's only so much that Farrell can do when one of his guys has a $217 million contract, and there's nobody else in there that really seems to police him. Um, and it's something that, I, I mean, I think Farrell and Dombrowski have talked to him, and I, I don't know what Dave has said to him or what John has, but it's, it's I, I put more of it on price. At some point, you're 31 years old, you know, be a professional, go out and do your job, and, you know, stop stop making waves for the sake of making waves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it, it, it's the story's just there's no out in this. I I just even if he apologizes now, it's not going to mean anything, and we all know it's not going to mean anything. I mean, and it's it's just crazy. I mean, look at the other. You talk about leaders all the time. Look, could you imagine Tom Brady blowing something up like that? Uh, Patrice Bergeron doing that. Isaiah Thomas doing that. No, it's it's pretty unique to David Price, I'd say. Yeah, right. and I was going to say, could you see Belichick <laughs> letting Brady get away with that? Or could, could you see uh, the Celtics management letting uh, Thomas get away with that? Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah, and to me, the biggest concern about this again is when you when you go back and you read Shaughnessy's recap as to what happened on that plane ride, it, just the fact that you know the player there were players who applauded, and we don't even know who specifically they are, but we just know. No, no, they a said Pedroia. I don't. Pedroia, well, no, Pedroia. Don't think specifically in mentioned Shaughnessy's in the, article. He, he mentioned Pedroia. Well, okay, I mean that's well, and that's disappointing too, in a sense that you know the players who've been here longer. You know, you would hope that they might step up into, you know, to try to fill some of that leadership void. Although, from what we've heard, uh, for other people talk about with Pedroia, he just never seems to be that that kind of a guy. Well, Chris, what, what's your take on? I mean, obviously, you've been in there with Pedroia now for a couple seasons. Is he just someone who tends to kind of, you know, he likes to lead by example on the field and just otherwise go along for the ride? And whoever wants to sort of try to play alpha dog in the clubhouse, he'll just go with whatever. Exactly. Um, I, that's, that's exactly it. I think he just wants to play baseball and go home. And there is a need for that vocal leader. It, I don't think he really wants to be that. I think he just wants to be all baseball all the time. You know, this is, this is my thing. Um, and I don't know that he was one of the players applauding. I've seen conflicting reports on that. Rob Bradford's pretty adamant that he wasn't. And Rob's got a pretty good pulse on these things with clubhouse guys. So I'm not, I'm not sure if he was, but either way, I think he would much rather just lead by example, you know, go with the flow, and um, he, he's kind of thrust into a role now where everyone's like, oh, well, you've been here longest, so you face the media today. Okay. Like, you talk to them today, and I don't think that's something that he really wants to do. I can't, I can't wait to see what's going to happen between Price and Shaughnessy now. I mean, Shaughnessy's had his outs with a lot of different people. You know, he's been around for a long time, and now that he's actually called him out in the paper, you know, what's going to happen there? Is he going to be the next one to get the the, uh, the uh, price axe? He could know? be, but I, I would tend to think he'd more likely give him the cold shoulder because he knows if he set, if he blows up at him, it's just going to get printed in Shaughnessy's next column. And, you know, yeah. un- unless Price at this point just doesn't give a bleep. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just... Oddly uh, comfortable with Shaughnessy, though, because he's, Shaughnessy's the one that got that um, I'm not talking to the media anymore except for days that I start, and he opened up to him at Yankee Stadium. Like, when he wasn't really talking to right, anyone and, at that and, point And either. Shaughnessy, well, to your point, too, Chris, I think Shaughnessy led that column by saying, let's stop picking on David Price. He was actually trying to defend David Price in that column, and then 
it led to it led to a blow up by Price anyway, which again kind of right as you said. I think this really does fall more on him than anybody else. The only other leader, you know, the only other veteran player I can think of, maybe is, and probably has to be a position player, just someone who plays every day. I know this is crazy to think. Chris, let me get your take on this. Hanley Ramirez, could he possibly go up to David Price and tell him to shut the F up? I mean, what's... I, I mean, hypothetically, he could, but I think Hanley's just kind of living in Hanley's world, where, like, he's... <laughs> right, well... Yeah, like, Manny's world, this is yeah. Hanley's world. You know, exactly. Yeah, it, must be I mean, something to do with the Ramirez name. Yeah, something. You know, he's, he's Hanley. He's, he's also pretty positive all the time, pretty mm. upbeat. Like, I, I think Hanley's just happy to do Hanley things, and I don't think he'd be the one to, you know, call Price out over something like that. Yeah, I guess I, just the one thing that, again, it just worries me so much is that you have someone like Price who just apparently seems to be so poisonous in that clubhouse. You have so many young players that are so, you know, could be so influenced and swayed. And I just, I, I hate to see those. I mean, those players, you know, Mookie Bet, like you you let off your, your uh, post with today, uh, Chris, you know, Mookie Bet's kind of referencing, uh, he, he tweets back, he shows a photo of Ortiz from last year, and he says, we, we miss you. I think that's almost Betts' indirect way of saying, you know, boy, things were a lot better. I really loved it when, when Ortiz was in charge of that clubhouse last year and without going so far that's really does like uh, adore ortiz if you ever get him talking about ortiz it's like he it's he'll open up almost more than he will on any other topic if he's talking about ortiz you know he was definitely his guy he like really showed him the ropes and so i i i'm sure that that's misses having him right now you think you think this is going to be the demise of the shias team uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty curious to see if they add any other parts of the deadline, if any of them would affect the Clubhouse 5, like how any of that could go. But Well, a good segue think- then. What about, uh, how about their recent uh, acquisition, uh, Eduardo Nunez, 30 years old. He's been, he's, this is his fourth team now. He's been with the Yankees, Twins, Giants, uh, supposedly from what we're, we're told or have heard about him. I guess he's, he's a good clubhouse presence. All of a sudden, those were, that little cliche, good clubhouse presence, suddenly it seems to take on more meaning when you're talking about the 2017 Red Sox here. Uh, I mean, you think, I mean, could he, I mean, could he just literally come in and, like, look at this and go, hey, what's going on here, guys? Yeah, I think it's tough to do as the new kidding class there, yeah. but I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, that move's kind of a head-scratcher, though, isn't it? Like, just the timing of it, it, if they did it last week, it'd be like, oh, that makes sense. But then after they promote Devers to do that, like a day later is pretty. It, it almost seems like what is the plan here? Yeah, and then they then they I guess when they put out the press release saying they acquired Nunez, Dombrowski says, well, they got him as a utility guy. Utility player, so, yeah, right. You know, and I mean, you know, back to Devers, like you said. I mean, boy, talk about a you know so far in just a couple of games. I mean, even comparing him last year to someone like say a Yoan Moncada, who just struggled in the handful of games he played right out of the gate. He was you know striking out in all his at bats basically. And, and Devers here, he's worked a couple walks in his first game and then you know in the game yesterday in His Seattle first hits a home yeah, run exactly 427 feet I guess an exit velocity which is now a huge trendy stat in baseball over you know the ball left his bat at over 100 miles an hour as have a couple of his other uh yeah, he, had, you know, he had three of them over 100 miles an hour yesterday yeah like yeah this, this guy's making solid contact at the major league level right away yeah, and he's probably saying, "What have I got myself into this year?" Well, he doesn't understand. <laughs> well, actually, he doesn't understand English, so he may not be, be getting any. Vi- I mean, I don't know if the vibe translates to to, to Spanish or not for for him. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I yeah. think I think stress and tension. It, you don't need a language for it. That body language tells that. <laughs> 
Yeah, really quick, Chris. Uh, I know we're kind of running out of time with you here. Uh, quickly, uh, talk about, you know, I, I was kind of thinking going into this trade deadline, the bigger need than getting someone like a Nunez, who could help, but the bigger need to me seems to be the bullpen, which I think is way overachieved this year. And, you know, you don't know if you're getting Carson Smith back for certain. You, you, know, you need some veteran arms down there. You can't be relying on, on Matt Barnes and the Blaine Boyers of the world. What are your, what are your thoughts on, like, maybe who's left out there? Because a lot of relievers have been flying around, uh, you know, in the last week to 10 days in trades, and all the teams around the Red Sox seem to be powering up with these mega bullpens. So what do you think the, what do you think the Red Sox could, or who, who do you like to see them go after? Well, that, it's been kind of perplexing that they haven't done anything like that yet with all these other relievers on the move. It seems like the market's getting smaller and smaller. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely become a need. You're, you're, you're right with the bullpen overachieving. I had them as my biggest surprise in the first half because it's like nobody expected them to be that good. And then, you know, water finds its level a lot of the times. Like, and then Joe Kelly went down. So they, um, they definitely need some help there. But the, the – um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The cabinet's getting thin there. The, the shelves are getting thin. And I'm kind of surprised that Dombrowski hasn't made a move yet. Yeah, especially based on his uh, reputation. I mean, he's usually the one that makes all the moves in the offseason. Yeah. I mean, he, at the uh, trade deadline. And to your point, Howie, I mean, we keep hearing, too, the reason maybe he's not making any moves, even though he's been told it's okay to go over the luxury tax threshold. Maybe it really isn't, uh, per se, or at least, you know, John Henry's got to sign off on it. They don't want to have to pay that that mega tax, that 50% tax, if they go over, uh, especially in light of, I think, the fact that John Henry literally just set $50 million on fire when they when they released uh Pablo Sandoval, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So that's. Yeah, but I don't think that should obstruct them from picking up a reliever because they have about six million, I believe. Right. Well, and, and when you prorate it, right, that's six million for the rest of the year, and they only, you know, these guys are, you know, whatever their contract is, you're only looking at like a third of it as being what the Red Sox would would count under their their threshold. Exactly. Well, it's going to be an interesting ride, I'll tell you, for the rest of the season. That's for sure. Yeah, no, no shortage of things to write about. That's, that's no, no, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, congrats on, on getting this gig. Uh, you know, you certainly deserve it, Chris. I mean, are you going to be – now, what's your – like, you, uh, the rest of the year, I, I know you've been sort of sporadic on some of these road trips. Do you think you're going to be making uh, more of them uh, as the season goes on? Or Yeah, I do. I, I'm uh, doing a lot of divisional stuff, and the schedule is kind of backloaded with divisional games. So I think September will be a pretty busy month for me. Um, maybe Cleveland in August. Um, so we, we've got some trips coming up. And no, no. When the season's over, what what are you gonna what do then? You you move on to another sport or <laughs> vacation? <laughs> um, well, you don't think Caribbean? they're gonna, they're not gonna use you for like some you know cover some but you know cover another beat maybe the end of the Patriots season or whatever or help out with I'll, coverage there. Then I'll jump around um, to a few different sports. But there's I mean baseball becomes such a year round thing too that I'll stay pretty busy with the Sox whether it's the winter meetings, free agency, you know. Spring training starts in February, but um, well, yeah, thinking, I think you'll see me at I was thinking, uh, probably some Patriots as the year goes on, uh, Bruins, the works. What do you think of covering some uh, like winter league ball down in the Dominican? Hey, if they pay for me, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, if you need someone to carry uh, your bags, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> you I'll ask for a plus one. Uh, a quick take, Chris. What do you think? Uh, how do you think this team is going to perform the rest of the year? Do you think they're they're good enough? Even if they don't make another move right now, are they good enough as constituted to at least win this division and, and make the playoffs? Yeah, it's such a tough question, just because the Rays and the Yankees have both gotten significantly better over the last two weeks, and they haven't yet. So it, it well, they I mean they got Nunez, but I I still think they're talented enough, but I don't know if they will. You know, it, it's. It, it, it's, it's such a tough call with this clubhouse, with everything that's going on. 
Um, okay, I think they're a playoff team either way. I don't know if they win the AL East. Well, they have, they have the pitching to do it, and we've always said that, uh, you know, uh, defense wins championships. So, you know, you know, maybe with all the dysfunction, you know, maybe the pitching staff comes through at the end, and that's will be able to carry them into the end. Yeah, I mean, they have the best ERA in the American League right now, 369. They're third in Major League Baseball, and yet it feels like it's somewhat being wasted because they've lost 12 of their last 19 games. Well, and it's crazy if you see the stats um, on days that Sale starts and days he doesn't. On days that Chris Sale isn't starting, they're 500. Yeah. On days that he does, they're obviously ridiculously good. Oh yeah, they're fifteen and six, right? I think fifteen and six on in his starts, and then forty-one, forty-one with the yep. rest of the starters. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Really, really quick. Last thing here, Chris. Uh, so they have to make a roster move tomorrow, apparently, to get Nunez on the roster. Is is it, you know, there's rumors it might be Devers. I mean, realistically, it, it probably should be Devin Marrero, right? I mean, you know, what you saw out of Devers for a team that's lacking power. I mean, you you don't want to send him down. Yeah, it might be um, it might be Marrero on a short trip down. I, I think they'd be crazy to send Devers back down right now, um, and especially when you just picked up a guy that can play, uh, that can like spell him in the later innings if you need to. Um, so yeah, Marrero would make sense. Um, did they already send Lynn down? Yep. Yeah, uh, they already yeah, did. Done, All right. yeah. yeah, yeah, he's already down. Marrero has options as obviously Devers does. Well, too. exactly, and that's the. There, I mean, there's other guys that. Uh, yeah, I, I I would guess Marrero. Yeah. yeah, life of being a baseball player. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, Chris, we can get you back on again later in the season, or at the very least, maybe after the season, maybe after you've taken that uh, you know Caribbean vacation there, that you, you know, or whatever. <laughs> That'll be a work. It's work. That's work. Right, right. Working maybe. vacation in the in the <laughs> yeah, in the winter league. That's work. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. Congrats again on on this gig. Uh, you're, I mean, you're you know you're out there now, and the Eagle Tribune's been a you know a traditional one of the older publications here in this area. It's been you know, the the paper's been around for years. Now it's the website and everything. So uh, go to eagletribune.com. Follow uh, Chris on Twitter. It's at by Chris Mason. He links to all of his stuff, so you don't have to like you know keep uh, searching Eagle Tribune to find it. He'll uh, post the links right for you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, buddy. All good right. talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you, Chris. Take care. Uh, and, uh, happy travels on the road. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Bye. All right. All right. Good night. All right. Thanks again to uh, to Chris for joining us there. Uh, you know, it's, not, it's nice to have a contact. Thank you, Howie. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, my nephew's living my dream. He is. He's living all our <laughs> dreams. Yeah, I mean, boy, he's, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's been slowly kind of moving up the ladder. He's been working at the Herald the last couple of years. Now he's got a regular yeah, it was on, uh, a steady was, beat here with the— He was on the sports— uh, Oh, he's Sports Hub. He started yep, there started first. Started there, yeah. Then he was, he was doing the high school beat. Now he's on the Red Sox beat. I mean, you know, that's—you know, once you're on a beat to cover, like, a, one of the professional teams here in town, I mean, that's— you know, I mean, the next move from there is basically, you know, columnist, right? I mean, that's I the next, that as far as you know, when Nick Cafato retires, maybe that'll be him. Yeah, the Sunday that, notes. Wouldn't that the be Sunday notes? Wouldn't that be something, Howie? You're picking that up, reading the Sunday yeah. notes there. Uh, <laughs> uh, quick thought, you know, we talked about Devers there, uh, Howie. Well, if you know, you don't mind staying for a few yeah. more minutes, we'll no. kind of do a little talking here ourselves. We can catch up since we haven't been uh, uh, talking uh, for a couple months. The summer, you know, recess and whatever. Uh, but uh, with Devers, I mean, I was reading. Uh, he's the youngest. Red Sox player to hit a home run since Tony C See, in 1965. Yep. I was thinking that. Tony yeah, C. Done. Now, did Tony hit a home run his first? Uh, uh, I don't know if he it, hit a homer his first at bat. His first, first hit, yeah. I thought it was it, it was like his first game, maybe maybe not his first at bat, but definitely his first game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I think very much like Devers, I think his first major league hit was a home run. I mean, they show those uh, 
they show that highlight of him a lot, uh, the old black and white uh, yeah. <laughs> highlight of him. But yeah, you know, I mean, boy, I'll tell you. Well, the funny part is, I went to a minor league game in Hartford literally earlier this month. It was July third. I went to a, I went to the game there. He was playing for Double A Portland. They were playing the the Hartford team uh, in the Eastern Eastern League game there, and he hit a home run in the upper deck of that game. And now, like just a little over three weeks later, he's hitting home runs for the Red Sox. I mean, that's just uh, you know, this is kind of like the Ben Intendi story all over again. You know, last year the way he kind of so quickly, well, he just skipped right over Triple A. I mean, Devers had a couple weeks at Triple A, hit like four hundred down. Yeah, there. I was gonna say it. Se- it seems like most of the time now they're going right from Portland to Boston. You know, the the Pawtucket's not even a stop anymore. Other than like I said, he was there for a couple of weeks, but it seems like everyone, anyone they bring up seems to go right from Portland. It's I don't know. It's almost like down there. They, that's where they put their wasted players. I mean, they. You know the Alan Craig's and the yeah. and the um, well, that's supposed to be the veteran insurance. So like, if you get yeah. hit with an injury and you want to be able to get like somebody who you know you don't want to just go to a twenty year old kid, you want to have like a veteran who can maybe step in for a couple weeks. You you could go to that guy, but yeah. uh, you and know. That, what was I reading? And I, his name's failing me at the moment. The the Cuban kid there they signed. Oh, Rusty Castillo. Yeah, they yeah. say he's playing good ball. He, he is. They're he was saying, well. He played on the Eastern League All Star or not Eastern the AAA All Star game this yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was, mean. He got any, I mean, he got some home runs. I mean, is it they have too many outfielders? I, I mean, think, yeah, right now they do. And you know what? You know, we, we brought it up a little bit with Chris there. I do think this luxury tax thing is somewhat of an issue, even though they're ne- the Red Sox will, you know, the, Henry and Dombrowski will never come out publicly and state no. we're not going to spend money because that would just send, you know, fans yeah, into the, a rage. Like, and I don't blame them. Like the year that they, they talked about the bridge year. Or, or yeah, the, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, These are just, th- it's the things you don't say, but it's your actions speaking louder than your words. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, it's very apparent, it seems like right now with the fact they're not making any mega moves here that I, I do think they want to stay under. The the feeling here would be, you know, Chris Young's a free agent after the season. He's their fourth outfielder right now. If they don't bring him back, they could bring Castillo in, who's an outfielder, like Young, he hits right-handed, and they could carry his $12 million or 11 or $12 million salary annually, uh, you know, with the team, because next so, year it's okay if they go back over the threshold. But aren't they still carrying it if he's on the 40-man roster? Apparently not. No, I think with the way it, it happened is because he's on the AAA roster, it doesn't count right now towards their cap hit, I guess. I, I don't know all the, you know, again, this is, you know, this whole luxury tax thing is starting to remind me of the NBA salary cap, like you need a, an advanced yeah. degree to yeah. To be able to understand ex- all the intricacies of it, but you know, I've read it in a couple places that Castillo's salary is not counting towards their their team payroll this year because I think right now he's not on the forty man roster. Okay. That's the I think they outrighted him, and because of his contract, nobody you know claimed him. Yeah. So he just assigned. He just took the minor league assignment. He's down there, but he's not on the forty man. So even if you know th- part of it, they'd have to put him back on the forty man next year. But you know, you're right. I mean, he has you know he has played pretty well down there. I think part of it is right now no one's talking about him and he's just kind of doing his thing and you know he's he's not a bad player I mean he's again he's probably at best a fourth out there especially when you look at the guys the Red Sox have in their outfield I mean yeah, well, you know. I think he just had to get used to the major leagues I mean he, he was coming from you know playing in Cuba or, you know I mean all the stuff to get here I mean I think they just needed to give him some time um, unfortunately he got bypassed because the Sox have such great outfielders then you get someone like uh, Benintendi who, who just leapfrogged over everybody yeah. so I mean he could kind of get left in the dust um, just by some great performances but yeah. you know 
But I mean, maybe maybe now that he's playing well, maybe someone won't mind paying the contract. Maybe they could use him as a trade. Well, and that's it. His contract looks a lot better now because I believe there's only like three more years left on it. So you're three years at like 35, 33, 35 million. It's not that bad. I mean, you could get a mid-market team to maybe bite on a contract like that. So it's, uh, yeah, we'll see. Either that or, as I said, if they don't bring Chris Young back, you know, maybe they, they look at him as like a fourth outfielder and they wouldn't mind, you know, they'll put his salary back on the books and I don't think they'll necessarily care that they're necessarily, you know. Well, listen, you, the whole would thing. say $12 million for a backup outfielder is not a, you know, smart spending, but, you know, at that point. But wasn't the whole thing they have to be under the cap for a year so they don't, because if you're on it for three or more years, yeah. then you get penalized. So they're trying to stay under it this year so they can exactly. get back over it right. and what, not pay a huge Tax. The way I understand it is this: if they go over it this year, this would be the third consecutive year, yeah, and I believe, and, and when, then they get messed. Right? Yeah, I think in year one you pay a twenty percent surtax. It's thirty percent last year when they went over, and then this year it goes up to like fifty percent. And I think there might be some other things involved with like international draft, uh, your your budget pool or something. Yeah. And I don't remember, but it's enough that they just really. So yeah, they'd rather go back to you know square one next year. They go back and over then they it. Can it's, it's twenty. Play, yeah. Right? It's twenty percent. Exactly. I do think a lot of this. I, I you know. And again, we kind of brought it up briefly with Chris. I do think a lot of this to do with the Sandoval having to cut him loose and eat all that money. I think if Henry, you know, w- might have been willing to go over and pay the large surtax this year if he wasn't already like basically flushing fifty million down the toilet. That's a big hit. You know, anybody. I mean, if you're running your own business and someone says you got to take a fifty million dollar loss, you're going to get zero productivity out of yeah. out of him. You, you get know, nothing for it, right? You get yeah. nothing. I mean, he and he gave he gave them nothing in the the. Two and a half years he was here. One I year mean, he, was, he was on the disabled list all for one whole year. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, first year he did nothing. I believe. I believe his total uh, games played at the Red Sox equals up to like one full season in like two and a half years. Yeah, exactly. and now and now oddly enough he's back with the Giants and he might get a saying. Ch- oh, I wish I yes. never left. And he I'm might s- get a chance now that they just traded uh, Nunez to the Red Sox. I'm sorry I said all these <laughs> nasty things about you. Oh, oh boy, and all uh, the groveling you'll do to get back. And maybe maybe yeah. Price should learn from it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely worried about what Price is doing as far as poisoning the the, I, the other guys. I'm telling you, I think I think it's the downfall of this year's team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the chicken and beer thing. This is a, this year is going to be remembered for the for the price fiasco and how the team just think of it. Ever since this has happened, well, yeah. how many games have they lost? Right. I mean, uh, how many games have they won? Yeah. Well, you know? right. Again, they've lost twelve of nineteen. They've stopped hitting, which not, has nothing to do with price necessarily. Well, but, it could be it could be it, attitudes. Right. Could, well, could yeah. Be minds. Well, it's like I was saying. They're channeling their energies in a different place. It's, they're, they're they're thinking about plotting to you know make fun of a reporter or gang up on on a broadcaster on the team plane as opposed to instead like let's focus on what we need to do to you know, yeah. start winning ball games and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, the focus seems to be in the wrong place. That's what bothers me more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Uh, and, and it but, seems like I said, it's a growing it's a growing fungus. It just gets big. Bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger every day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, let's wrap up. We haven't had a chance to talk about all this since it happened, and that would be the Celtics offseason, and it's been a pretty busy one for them. Yes. Uh, your thoughts on, uh, you know, the, the Hayward acquisition and maybe some of the, the lesser things they did, and maybe even the uh, departure of Avery Bradley and, and how that changes the yeah, team. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna miss Bradley because I liked his defense. Again, you know me, I, I've always – I like defense. You know, a 7 and nothing football game is exciting to me where, where a lot of people think that's boring. Um, he brought a lot to the table with that, but I think Haywood's going to be a lot bigger addition for him. It's going to spread out the court. It's going to take some pressure off of Thomas. Um, they need some other help, you know, at center. They need someone that can rebound. So I, they're not done, but I think with him, with Haywood, with with Thomas, with um, 
Horford. Ho- Horford. Hal Horford. Yeah, I, th- I think they got a good nucleus. They got a good, you know, team going. I mean, they still got uh, Brooklyn's number one draft pick next year, whether they use that or they trade it. I like the kid they drafted, Tatum. I yeah. like I like the. Do kid. you like him over Fultz? Did you like the fact they traded down from that one to? Uh... Yeah, well, I like it because they got a good ball player from what I can see from what I saw in the summer league, yeah. right? And they got another number one draft pick, you know, first round pick. Right. So I mean, it's just a plus plus. I think that was probably the kid they wanted anyway. Thank God they stayed away from that kid Ball because I think his father's just going to be nothing but a thorn in your side, mm. whether the kid's a good ball player or not. Well, he had a good summer league too. I mean, you know, if we're if we're going to count the summer league games for anything, and I'm not sure yeah. I, I want to, but uh, you know, like Tatum, I mean, actually Ball, I think. Uh, and I thought I think Jalen Brown with a year under his belt is you know going to be uh, you know good for the team. So Steven I, seems to think that he, maybe he can step into Avery Bradley's starting role as the as the uh, the off guard, the two guard and like yeah. he can defend those guys. I mean, you know, I think he's probably still got a ways to go to get to Bradley's defensive level, but uh yeah. Well, Bradley you didn't know. become Bradley overnight either. No, so. he didn't. You're right. He didn't. And, you know. Uh, you know, one of the other things you have to look at with Bradley is the fact, you know, as much as we both really liked his, his play a lot, he had a hard time at times staying on the court. And ultimately, he was his contract was up after next season. And, and he was looking for, for the right. mega bucks. He wasn't. Yeah. You know, and I guess. He's in, not a $20 right. million dollar a year player in yeah. my book. He was a great. He was a good ball player. Did some good things, but if he's looking for that kind of money, then no, they definitely made the right move. Saying sayonara. Yeah, and it's smart of Ainge. I mean, Ainge has had a history since uh, you know taking over as GM of the Celtics to basically you know when when the guy you know he doesn't wait for that last year. He'll he'll trade the guy a year early and, and get something for him. He, he's done that a few times. Like Mister Belichick. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like Mister <laughs> Belichick. Exactly. You you want to throw in some Patriots thoughts while we're here? I mean, trade. You know, sports summer officially ended today with the uh, opening of Patriots training camp. I, I always consider sports summer to be like right after the Stanley Cup and NBA Finals end to the the first day of training camp's opening. That's the little window where you have baseball, you know, and nothing else. So now now it's uh, now now the Red Sox. You know, this is exactly the timing of all this Red Sox garbage going on. With now you've got the Patriots. You know, defending Super Bowl champ. Looking for number six. Loaded up on talent. Loaded up, right. I mean, yeah. it's easy to just all of a sudden say, you know, as a fan, eh, forget the Red Sox. I'll check it on them every no, well, once because they're still in first place. That's why. Yeah. You know, I put this way. If they were if they were in third or fourth place right now, that's exactly the attitude. It would have been baby mm. to start, and who cares? But, I mean, yeah. I told you this earlier, and, and I'll, stick, I'll still say it. I swear that Brady has told them that this is his last year. That's why they loaded up on talent. I mean, he's got really nothing else to show or prove, so yeah. why not try to go out with a bang? I mean, they went out and loaded up on big talent. They you know? did, but he hasn't. I don't think he's really said anything. No, of course he's not going to say it out publicly. Okay, you think but privately? I think privately he told to... them, look, this is probably going to be my last year, so let's try to go out with a bang. Well, why does he keep saying that he wants to play till 45? He doesn't have to say that if he's thinking of leaving after the season. He could just say, I want to keep playing as well, long why as did they, he can why, make it Why junior. did they keep Garoppolo? Why didn't they, why didn't they try That's to get good, something yeah. for him? If they know Brady is going to stick around for another four years, so now the only way they're going to be able to keep Garoppolo, are well, they going to start giving him the franchise tag and pay him more than their starting quarterback? Yeah. Right. So, so where did that come in? Why? I mean, I'm glad he's still a Patriot, but why wouldn't they have maximized what they could? Because if he just sits on the bench another year, what happened last year is going to be flushed down the toilet. So obviously there's a reason they kept him around. Mm. 
That's that's my take. I mean, I don't know much. I'm, I'm not in the locker rooms. Here's, but. here's the thing. What if Brady has a, another year similar to last year? Looks like he's still performing at a top level. They win another Super Bowl. What if he doesn't want to retire? I well, mean, what, you know, what, what if he what if he does though? What if it's like why am well, I going to risk? They're covered. They why am I going to risk life and limb yeah. in maybe a, a permanent injury or a brain injury or you know a crippling injury at this point? I've won five Super Bowls. They win it this year. Six Super Bowls. I've won MVPs. I've won, you know, uh, you know, had the most touchdown passes one year. I mean, why, why risk anything? I mean, he's got so much more he can do. Yeah. And don't tell he's me he's starting his, on that second and career. Don't, too. And don't tell me his <laughs> wife isn't got an influence on him, or his family, mm-hmm. or his kids. And I'm sure they're tra- probably saying, "Look, Tom, enough." It's time to come home. Well, it's like you know, it's like what Giselle slipped out during that yeah. interview on the morning news. There, and if you that's know, yeah, true, yeah. which I'm sure he's had, a, I'm sure he's had a few. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all. I mean, I mean, let's face it, it's common concussions in the NFL. I mean, we're finding that out more and more. So you're going to tell me he's never had them? I'm not buying it. Has he ever been brought up on it? And has he ever been on off the field because of it? No. But you know, I'm sure in the back of my mind, saying, you know, hey, look. Yeah, he you might know? be fortunate enough that his skull's a little harder than the average NFL player. I mean, because obviously you've seen how concussions have driven so many players out of the game. Just talk Patriots. Wes Welker's yeah. career certainly, uh, you know, kind of came grinding to a halt uh, after all the head. And I think you're going to see more of that because I think these guys are going to go in, make their money, and get out before they suffer really bad head injuries. Well, to your point, Howie, I mean, I was reading something today. There's a 26-year-old offensive tackle for the Ravens, Urschel. Yeah, he's got a he's got a doctor. He's pursuing his doctorate in math. And uh, he's retiring now because he's gonna. He's basically looking ahead to his second career. He's decided yeah. he's you know the concu- Right now, you know the concussions are outweighing you know or that you know any benefits uh, that that he yeah. could get staying in the league. So and that's like he's like well. And then you look at her, you know uh, Andrew Hawkins of the Patriots. He he has a master's degree in, in business. He's gonna go after his doctorate, I guess. And yeah. he retired. Uh, Make your money and get out quick. Yeah. You know you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see more guys turning over after four or five years now that all this is coming out about concussions. Right, and I think as humans, we look at that and go, hey, good for those guys, right? Yeah. Spare yourself, but hey, as football fans on Sundays, I mean, it's going to diminish the game if you keep, I mean, if this is going to be the start of a trend, and you're probably right, it probably will be as this, more of this concussion news comes out. I mean, there was another study uh, released by BU this week about it, and it's just, yeah, I mean, it's going it, to. It's going to turn into like college basketball where they come and play one or two years and they leave. You know, you know the one and done. We have a new team every year. Yeah, wow. yeah exactly. Well, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, NFL free agency tried. Well, actually, you, you would think the commissioner would love that because it would bring more parity, wouldn't it? I, I guess or something. Yeah, like that, maybe more so. clown shirts. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know. So certainly, uh, you know, it'll be. Uh, it's going to be a fun year. We'll have. We'll have plenty of Patriots talk as uh, uh, the season uh, progresses here. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any other uh, thoughts about things going on? I, I did want to make a quick point about the Red Sox. You're just getting back to them quick. Uh, they start a 10-game homestand. 15 of the next 20 games are at home, but 16 of those 20 games are against teams over 500. And, in fact, they've got a bunch of games coming up against Cleveland, who's won seven straight uh, as of our, our doing this uh, this podcast, and they've got six games coming up against the Yankees over the next month. So 13 of their like next 24 games are against Cleveland and New York, who were both playing. Well, Yankees aren't playing great yet, but I mean they did make those trades and. Uh, you know, might start uh, playing. Okay, a they're bit they're nipping at the heels. Yeah. They're almost there yeah. now. Yeah, they are. You know, they are. so I mean, it's 
like I said, ever since all this broke, it's just gone slowly. It's like watching the drain in your tub slowly going down the drain. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, 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 the, the drain was running much faster at the end of 2011. That's September when they went like lost 20 out of 27. And like what? Well, hey, right. we, we, nothing yeah. says we can't top that at this uh, point. Well, maybe not. Uh, I know you do like to follow the golf major, so let me ask you quick your thoughts on uh, Jordan Spieth. Uh, you know, kind of joining some very special company, winning three different Grand Slam. You know, he could become, I guess, what the second youngest to complete the uh, career Grand Slam if you wins the PGA uh, championship in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. Uh, did you watch? Did you watch? Yes. the I'm sorry. All apologies to those folks across the pond. Did you watch any of the British Open? <gasps> I said it. I yeah. didn't call it the Open Championship. I'm so sorry. Yeah, did, no. Did you, I mean, yes, I was. I was up at five yeah. o'clock watching it. I did mean, you, you saw him playing that. You saw Spieth playing that 13th hole and that crazy shot. Yes. That, uh, it was it was funny because when it, when it started you could all you could tell that he was just thinking too much you know he'd walk up to the ball and look he'd walk back to his cat he'd walk up to the ball and he'd go back again it's like kid I'm saying you're thinking too much you're not playing golf you tra- you, he was playing like we were saying he was playing not to lose mm. he wasn't playing to win and he didn't stop playing to win till he got behind. He had that slim lead going back and forth. As soon as he got one, he was one under. Um, one you know, he was down back, by yeah. one. He just turned it on because he went from and he saved. That was a great bogey he saved. I'm he surprised. Sure was. You know, he even gave up a stroke. The whole thing back on the the uh, practice green <laughs> over over Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah. You know, blindly shooting the ball, but <laughs> over the production know, trucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then it, then it was birdie eagle, yeah. birdie birdie. I mean, yeah. he just like. It's, then he started playing to win because he knew he was behind now. Mm. At the beginning, I mean, he bogeyed three of the first four holes. You know, he was playing not to lose. Yeah. And I feel, I feel bad for uh, Cooch, Cooch because, yeah. I mean, he, what, birdie, uh, birdie, pa, birdie, pa, the last four holes and ended up losing and yeah. missing, you know, and, and he lost three strokes. Right, yeah. I mean, right, four exactly. strokes. Yeah. He was up uh, yeah. by one yeah, and he, he birdies two three, and paws right. two and he's, still, he's yeah. down by three yeah. at the end. Normally so. at the end of a major, if you play like that, your last four or five holes, you're probably yeah, going to win. Yeah, especially when you're, you're yeah, up you're by a stroke. Right, yeah. You're up by a stroke, you birdie two of the last four holes, you figure you're home free. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I know Kuchar still is, uh, you know, that that major still eludes him, but yeah. uh, has to get there soon. I'd like to know if that 20, 25 minute layover will speed to trying to figure out his shot messed him up too. Although not really because he, he went birdie, birdie. Well, right, uh, he did. Birdie pop, What do you think? Pop. How about Spieth going over and apologizing at, while they were at the green on 13? Yeah. He went over while that was, yeah. you know, after they finished play there. Very classy. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, I guess isn't this the reason we really watch sports too, Howie's? Because we, we always want to see how these players react in the most difficult situations. And and obviously, I'm not saying Spieth's going to be the next Tiger Woods or the next Jack Nicholas or any of these guys. But boy, there was something, like you said, something there. How do you respond when the adversity – And well, let's go back to the beginning of our show here. Where we were talking about someone who does not seem to handle adversity well. He doesn't even seem to handle the slightest criticism. And here's somebody who, like you said, it led the entire tournament, all of a sudden fell behind, and instead of just – he could have, like, folded at that yeah, point. Yeah, the wheels were coming off the right. truck. Right, you know, you know, like perhaps the 2017 Red Sox, but uh, mm. but instead he, you know, valiantly played on and showed the true heart of what it, what makes a champion. Like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, all, all of a sudden he is like I said, he started playing to win the tournament instead of playing not to lose the tournament, and I, that's that's what I saw watching it, and and it was 
Great to watch. It was a fun tournament. Yeah. I always enjoy the British Open. Oh, God, I said I it, too. I know you said it, too. Oh. Um, <laughs> I always enjoy it because of the, the, the fields. The, you know, they're, playing, they're playing in cow pastures over there, and it's, it's just fun. To, it's nice to see these guys challenged as opposed yeah. to being 18 under and winning the tournament. You know? I oh, mean, sure. Some British Opens, I think the, I want to say, like, was it the last time they said it was played there? The winner was two over yeah. for the tournament. You know right. that that's it's nice to see the professionals have to struggle, not not just cakewalk through the thing. No, that's yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I'm still wondering: is there a way we can get like Jordan Spieth and David Price together, knock them both out, and then like do a blood transfusion or something? I can wouldn't we... want to do that to Spieth. Uh, I, I want to see it. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to. T- he doesn't take any of Price's blood, but we need to. Oh, some as long as some as long of the blood it, of a champion. Well, we I need figure, to get that yeah, to as long, price. yeah, as long as know. there's no transfer there, and Spieth becomes yeah. a moron. Yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll knock out speed. We'll get the blood, then we'll put it into price after, so we won't get them in the same room. How's that? All right. Just to ensure that there's not a, a complete <laughs> exchange there. Uh, uh, well, Howie, this has been fun, but yeah. uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here. And uh, you know, again, we want to thank uh, your your nephew Chris Mason for uh, joining us here uh, with some good stuff on the Red Sox. And uh, yeah, we'll get we'll see how things play. Yeah, out hopefully, price doesn't go after him now. Yeah. David Price, do you listen to Belmont Podcast? <laughs> well, once we put this out on the Twitterverse, I, you know, I don't oh, know. Oh, God, who like, knows? You know. He'll probably yeah. be coming after us. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, you, by the way, just to get as a reminder, if you want updates when the latest TOST podcast is available for your listening pleasure, just follow us on social media. You can become a Facebook fan by searching Time Out for Sports Talk. Our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC. Uh, again, Chris Mason's Twitter handle is at by Chris Mason. You can follow his work covering the Sox this year. So, uh, Howie, thank you again. This yeah. has been uh, fun as always. Until next time, uh, for Howie McLeod, this is Todd Bloniars. Thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.